and welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Well, we remember what everyone else has forgotten. And I apparently forget uh, that I'm not supposed to keep talking after I say the opening line. Thank you very much. Of course, I am Nick Cameron, Alshali, Alshali. It's been an emotional day. Alshali is emotional. Uh, and it, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm losing track. The plot's getting lost. We are quickly turning into a, an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Uh, of course. Ashley. Ashley. Uh, as Ashley, what I meant to say was, sorry. As <laughs> everybody might know, oh, I am Nick Cameron, also of Glacial Lee Musical Ashley, joined by my good friend, the ginger-headed, dancified Duncan. From Leeds, how are we doing today? All right, dancified. Um, yes, I'm doing all right, man. Yeah, tired, busy. You know, it's all rock and roll. Um, we've got a show coming up soon. If people are near Leeds, um, Duncan Evans and the Weeping Starlight and Miranda Arier, seventh of October in Leeds. Um, so that's a shameless bit of promotion, but yeah, doing fine. How are you doing? I am good. Can I? I've never mentioned this, and I and I regret that now. Weeping starlight is like one of the coolest phrases I've ever heard. I love that. But now I'm going to talk about me now that I've talked about you. Um, cool. I know well, every- <laughs> I know everybody is seriously sick of hearing about this, but uh, my the house I've been working on for the past year and a half is now on the market and things are looking good. And we have spent every day there this week, every day there last week. And I don't know what I'm going to do with myself when this part, when this chapter is over. But have moving... a break, have a relax. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> but okay. as as chapters go, as things are, everybody knows I am a polyamorous podcaster. I have two partners in the podcasting realm of the world so i am happy to announce this is a sister wives podcast i have both my partners in the same room and they are friends as well we all work together under the auspices of everything we do we are joined by a credible shit credation of journalism and erudite elastician kifi chakas Thank you for joining us this week. What an intro. Uh, I'm sorry. You. My uh, elocution, my diction, my vocabulary. Uh, it, uh, I'm going to quote uh, General Chang from Star Trek VI at this point. I am clearly incompetent. Whether that is age or drink is for the court to determine. To be partially true. Partially. That's. I don't know what it means, <laughs> but it sounds cool. Uh, welcome to the DMA Big Love Edition. And uh, Duncan, lovely to see you as always, my friend. Indeed, great to see you, Keefe. Absolutely, rock and roll. How's it going? It's going great. I saw Converge last night with Death Club and King Yosef and Entry. So it was a very hardcore, punchy, punchy, yelly, yelly show. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've reviewed Converge twice in the last year for yourself at uh, Ghost Cult Mag. Um, and uh, yeah, they've been great, actually. I'm, both I'm certain you're all set. <laughs> Yeah, man. I've yeah. seen I've seen Converge for like the last twenty five years, literally before they were a well known band. I got I got to see them play a, a bar, and nice. uh, they have evolved into this incredible thing. And I'm a huge admirer of Jacob Bannon, 
and uh, his, they were selling his art. I have many Converge albums on vinyl. I think Nick is not a fan. Um, and I'm also quite a big fan of Def Club for people who love Dillinger Escape Plan and noisy math rock and chaotic punk rock. And uh, the, uh, the vocalist of Def Club is the owner of the 3-1-G record label, and he's also in Dead Cross and a bunch of like 80 other bands. He's the bassist of Dead Cross with the Mike Patton and Dave Lombardo. So anywho, good times for me on a Saturday night. I'm, I'm fantastic on a Sunday. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I guess this is where we should talk about what we are going to be talking about for the rest of this um, auspicious, awfully auspicious show. Well, as everybody knows, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, one of the probably legitimately the greatest record of all time. Not my favorite, not even my favorite Pink Floyd record, but definitely their best. That is it's when they nailed the landing, the jump, and the, the bounce off the balance beam. They nailed everything top to bottom. Thankfully, Roger Waters has decided, you know what? We didn't do it well enough. And I know the guy that can do it wonderfully and better and perfect. Me. So in about two weeks, we have the Roger Waters Acid Reflux Edition coming of dark side of the moon i of course am not buying it at this point i'm gonna wait till it gets clearanced out on amazon for 15 bucks yeah based on everything i've heard that's where we're headed it feels like a very strange move it feels like a live version would have been great and probably would have been they'd have been able to hype that up really nicely but redoing a studio version like no one likes that even if the second version is better it's it's just never going to seem better like it, and and this isn't it, better well there you go but it's just you know people grow to love these classic albums and they they that's the thing they love they don't want a redone version a live version sure because it's a different thing except just, the one thing about that is pink floyd released the live version of it and well, it was yeah. excellent there you go there you go um but anyway, we're not here to talk about Dark Side of the Moon. Although we're here we to could. Talk, although we could. We're here to talk about 1987, I think. 87, June 15th. 1987's Radio Chaos, or K-A-O-S. Um, so this was Roger Waters' second album. Officially, second solo album, I should say. Officially his first one since um, leaving Pink Floyd, because pros and cons of hitchhiking... Technically, Pink Floyd was still a thing with him in the band, although I don't think they'd done anything or even spoken to each other for a few years, or certainly Roger hadn't spoken to the rest of them anyway. Um, so, yeah, there we are. I'll let somebody else talk now. Well, radio or radio pros and cons. Yes, it did happen as well as Pink Floyd was still a thing, as did uh, David previous podcast subject, David Gilmore's About Face. Uh, I will leave it to you to choose which one of those two records is better. Pros and not, cons of hitchhiking. Yeah, I will not be turning around Most to show definitely. you about face on that. But you you, you, you do go. you, Keefe. And so it, it's weird that it took another basically four years for... Oh, well, I guess there was uh, Final Cut, then Dark Side, and then the Wall movie. And then it took him a little... Then Roger finally does Radio Chaos. 
And I'm going to ask Keefe to explain the story of Radio Chaos in a little bit. But in the meantime, let's talk about 1987. 1987 in America is a wild time. The greatest baseball team in the history of the world is in the, on their route to a world their 875th World Series appearance. Keefe, who's that? Do you mean the St. Louis Cardinals, Nick? Oh, I've heard of them. Yeah, they played down the street from me. I thought you were going to uh, talk about the Mets. No, we're talking about the best team. Oh, okay. Well, well I mean, they were in '86. In no, this is '87. Oh, okay. And they were not. And the Mets were in '86, mm-hmm. but that was that was cheapened by Bill Buckner's boot. That's you fair. know what I mean. That's totally fair. That should not have happened. That I mean, leave that guy alone. He's a good dude. Did you ever see the bases loaded? video of that mm. that is the greatest thing i've ever seen pretty bad moving moving on so we have the st louis cardinals getting ready to be robbed in the homer dome by the minnesota twins i'm still angry about that willie mcgee is still at the height of his powers vince coleman is still impressive jack clark is still part of the cardinals the st louis blues are completely off the map the St. Louis Cardinals are beginning their last season in St. Louis before moving to Phoenix. The first time the NFL screwed over St. Louis. That is the Big Red, not uh, Los Birdos, Elbertos, Elbertos. Anyway, so 1987, we are at reaching the end of the Reagan era. The We are nearing, we are at the nadir of the Cold War. And one of the things that, and I probably shouldn't do this because this is kind of like nightmare trauma fuel that my child will be discussing with a therapist in about 10 years. Generation X growing up in the 80s was messed up because it was always, you know, the the posturing of nuclear war, which is reflected in this record. And mutually assured destruction was basically, you know, Gen X, we woke up at 7 a.m., our parents were hungover, we walked to school, we came home and learned that Reagan said that he's going to fire the bomb, whatever, he doesn't care, he's not going in a hole. That was uh, that was the 80s, and we are now at the point where we didn't know it at the time. However, the Soviet Union, the USSR, was nearly bled dry. And we are two years away from Roger Waters' The Wall live at Berlin, which I'll leave you to decide how you feel about that one. But it was a weird time, and nuclear war was a very real threat. I yield my time. All right. Well, just briefly before Keefe goes into the story of the album, because... That's the America side of it, which is reflected in the record, but there's also a British side of it. Um, Wales comes into this um, with a character, the main character from the album. So you had Reagan, we had Margaret Thatcher. I think um, this is the first time we've talked about a Welsh anything on this podcast. Continue. There you go. So Margaret Thatcher, um, conservative prime minister, um, very right. Good friend of Reagan. There you go. Yeah. Presided over um, 
a whole bunch of privatizations and cuts and all sorts of things. Um, Maggie, what strikes. have you done? So, so, yeah, exactly. So we won't go into all that. But um, one of the big things that she presided over was um, closing down a lot of the coal mines. Um, and, and Wales had a huge, huge load of coal mines and um, a massive, um, massive lot of workers who were who were coal miners. And um, basically since then, most of those coal mining areas in Wales and England and, you know, all around, um, I'm sure there's probably some in Scotland as well. I'm no expert, but um have largely become um, pretty economically deprived areas. Nothing's really um, come up to take the place of those coal mines, which provided a lot of jobs for people. And um, yeah, that, that is the backdrop for part of this story as well. Real quick, let me jump in. That is actually a big part of the Welcome to Wrexham series from Ryan right. Reynolds and Rob McElhenney when they purchased, when they purchased, Wrexham AFC, one of the oldest club, one of the oldest football clubs in the world. And right. They also have go. the oldest national or oldest international stadium, the racecourse ground in Wrexham, Wrexham, Wales. There you go. And last thing I'll say also, which because this just feeds into the album a bit as well. In Wales, the male voice choir is a really big deal. It's like the musical um, fingerprint of Wales, if you like. If, if, if there's one type of band like you associate brass bands with um, South Yorkshire in England. Wales I would have said New is, Orleans, but okay. Uh, okay, well, yeah, yeah. But in, in the UK, in um, Wales... The spirit of jazz comes quiet. from New Orleans. Mighty Boosh. There you go, exactly. Um, so, I'm trying to get, I, yes, to get the Mighty Boosh before... Quiet. I'm trying to get my Mighty Boosh reference before you get your psychedelia. There you go. All right, well, I think we need to bring in Keefe to tell us the story of this uh, record, the concept album, the concept behind the concept album. I'm going to thank... Hang on, let me preface this with a thank you to Keefe, because the kid and I are listening to this for the second time this weekend today. And we are at the point where, you know, the, you know, bye, Billy, you know, all that business, which we'll get to. And she looks at me and she goes, Dad, what is this? I'm like, I don't know. I I don't I, I I don't know. Roger is doing everything he can think of. Roger's got a little lizard brain, and anything that goes in there goes on the record. Period. Not everything is a golden idea, artists. Um, I like being put on the spot and asked to lead the podcast when I had no plan to. Whoa, whoa, um, whoa! You're not leading the podcast. You said you under me. you said off air. You understood the story. I yeah. I'm I do not. Leading. So somebody's got to give it. Well, here's why I understand the story. The story is is uh, close to home for me. Uh, so randomly, um, you know, Roger loves his concept albums, right? He loves his storytelling. And uh, this is an interesting one. Surely the most unique of his career uh, and, and, and not as relatable as he thinks. Not not the most unique. The most unique is... <clears throat> The one we the one we did previously, the next record, where it's a monkey who becomes the defense secretary of the United States. That seems more plausible to me than this, but okay. Um, <laughs> because I believe in super monkeys and uh, Planet of the Apes could have actually happened. Um, Billy, who is from Wales, is disabled, differently abled. I think this album would have a hard time getting made today, but again, Roger is a lightning rod for 
hatred and it, it's dislike. like we discussed he does not believe that anything should be off limits mm. and that taste is a matter of you go to hell it's art and i say it's good um mm -hmm. so billy is uh differently abled and he has uh, a multitude of uh different abilities he needed he's a helper monkey that could have actually needs, bridged these two records the he helper needs, monkey he does need a helper monkey it's perceived that he is uh not very capable but actually even though he's perceived as mentally challenged he's got super genius and he actually has superhuman abilities uh this is close to home for me my late brother was autistic and my mother used to reference that he probably was like jesus and we just didn't know about it he had like superpowers like professor x mutant abilities that we didn't understand yet because we didn't have the capability to get on his level good story to distract my mom from her uh issues uh, June of 87 is also like three months before my father passes away. So I think I was like fully listening to nothing but Pink Floyd and Metallica at this point in my life in high school. And um, same, same. nothing else, literally. I ne not let anything else in except maybe George Michael Faith. Nothing else. Uh, for me, it was Led Zeppelin. But yeah. <clears throat> um, I mean, I mean, always. But well, yeah. so in this guise, Roger couches his actual story which is about the, um, you know, his Marxist dialectic, his hatred of capitalism and, uh, you know, what he considers to be political tyranny by conservatives in the UK. And so he uses this story as his foil to deliver his message of what the story is really about. Now, this is really interesting to me. He uses this idea of Radio KOS, K-A-O-S from L.A. And Wait a minute. Why is it K and not W? I don't know. You don't know? I'm sorry. I thought you knew. Um, I, maybe I know it because I'm at the... I think it's um, just because it's four letters. And I no, it no, been a... no, 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 no. Oh, you mean they have to have a W at the start? Is that the thing? Um, I don't understand. The Mississippi, it's W. West uh, is K. I see. I think he's just chosen four letters to spell chaos. Well, yeah. I mean, but it's also out like, of... Oh. It's, it's out of Los Angeles. Yeah, so all the, be Los Ange all the Los oh, Angeles. Oh, I see. So all K the Los something. Angeles radio stations yeah. are a K, yeah. right? Oh, Everywhere okay. from where I sit, west is K. Yeah. I, you so go, the, I could throw a rock and hit W. I, that, may, that's may just I? the thing. I'm may sorry. I, I see. I see. May I, may I have back my time, Nicholas? I'm muted. Um, you should. You should get. I got me one of these mute buttons. This thing is. Or this weight in gold, unless I mute it while I'm talking. Yeah, I'm gonna get you a kill switch like I just got me. Um, Engage. Omar, cut this. Anyway, what? Nick, <laughs> uh, Duncan will not get that reference, but Nick will. Um, so there, uh, all the Los Angeles radio stations are K something, including the most famous metal radio station, KNAC, rock and metal in Los Angeles. So, but we based on a real friend of rogers who was an actual legendary radio broadcaster jim ladd who i listened to growing up i wouldn't say he's quite a huge influence on me but an influence nonetheless you know very he had a very deep radio american voice and you hear him all over the record and he like uh roger is equating this kind of uh thatcher england to the fake money hungry vapidness of los angeles and it's very contemptuous all the lyrics all there's a lot of references in the album they're very subtle but they're very they speak loudly to me about how con how much contempt roger has 
for LA and apparently Jim helped Roger see parts of LA that were not vapid and terrible and beautiful and interesting. So meanwhile, Roger is telling his story about how Billy hears radio waves with his superpowers. Through his wheelchair, sorry <clears throat> to interject. Yeah, thank you. And um, Wait, that's how it happened? Yeah. yeah. It's also, it's, okay. it's interestingly echoes of the story from the Who musical Tommy. And also, I don't know if either of you would be familiar with this because I'm old. It's very similar to the story of Daryl, which was a movie in the 80s about a child. Look at Nick is getting very excited. I love that movie. Okay, good. I do too. No, so no, this no. this is like data literally... acquiring robot youth life. No, data analyzing robot youth life form. Daryl. Yeah. Hold the bat tighter, Daryl. They make like a child android who revolts on his creators, basically. And this is very similar, like very similar. I don't know if he could have seen it. He could have seen it. It's very possible in a hotel room somewhere. Roger saw this on tour. It was on. It was on HBO all the time <clears throat> when he was on tour. I didn't have for HBO, pros and cons. He, he might have. Um, but it's just a very. It's a. It's a little convoluted of a story, but like a on paper. I like where it where what it's going for. I don't think he executed it well, but I think like in terms of the concept, but I think like on paper, what he meant what like it means well. He it's like a really the bones of a good story that he didn't completely foresee and then he started writing the songs, perhaps, or already had been writing the songs. So listen, man, Roger loves it's all the same. If you love Roger Waters, and a lot of people don't, but if you love Roger, it's got all the hallmarks of what Roger does well. Lists, uh, angst, oh, yeah. politics, the human condition. Those are Roger's four pillars, and he should not veer from them ever. He really shouldn't. And I think that's where I'm going to stop for now. <clears throat> okay. Thank you for well, referencing Daryl. I'm sorry. This is the second time I have heard a reference to Daryl in a week, which is more references to Daryl than I've heard since... I watched it on HBO in 1986. Nice. Well, just to pick up from where Keefe left off, if you don't mind. So basically, basically to, the, the way this story goes, and I have had to Wikipedia this to fill in the gaps that I, I think I originally had to Wikipedia it in the first place when I first heard this album years ago. But um, basically, Billy and Benny, two twin brothers, Billy is in the wheelchair, picks up radio waves through it, um, he he can't communicate um, by, with speech. Um, I think he only has the use of the upper half of his body. Um, anyway, so Benny used to be a coal miner, but lost his job after the closures presided over by Margaret Thatcher. This is all in Wales. And then basically Billy and Benny are out drinking and they decide to... Now, let me get this right. I think they break into a shop... Here we go. Yeah, that's right. They break into a shop of like TV screens because one of them is broadcasting um, Margaret Thatcher. They don't like what she's saying They're You know, they've been affected by um, what she's done to the mines and the miners. And then they decide to pose on a footbridge. Benny's posing on a footbridge to protest the closures of the mines with a stolen cordless phone from the TV shop. The same night, a taxi driver is killed by a concrete block dropped from a similar bridge. So they reckon it's um, it's Benny that did it. Um, and I don't. It's never quite said whether it really was. If it was, I think it was an accident. But 
anyway. I thought it was him because in the song he says it's either him or me. Maybe right. I'm wrong. Maybe I don't he know. was I mean, just drunk and didn't know. I also I mean, I th- didn't know that's where the cordless phone came from because uh, Billy is talking through the cordless phone. That's where this whole thing comes from. Yeah, I think basically they decide for some reason they decide to hide the phone in Billy's wheelchair so that they don't get done for stealing the phone. But Benny does get um, arrested for the manslaughter of the taxi driver. Apparently, this is based on a real incident that Roger Waters um, heard about in the news where somebody accidentally dropped a concrete block and killed a... um, That's right, a striking worker threw a concrete block off a motorway bridge, killing a taxi driver who was taking a strike breaker to his job. Maybe it wasn't actually... And this is during the miners' strike. Maybe it wasn't an accident. Maybe it was on purpose. Um... So anyway, basically, yeah, um, then Benny's wife, sorry, Benny's wife, yes, now can't cope, is struggling, is grieving, sends Billy, who was living with them, away to his uncle in L.A., and then he starts to develop abilities to further intercept and mess about with radio frequencies and stuff, and it eventually gets to the point where he can... um, so he, he calls this radio station Radio Chaos and talks to them on there. And he's able to communicate using this radio wave skill when he can't normally talk. But he then manages to hack into a military satellite and fool the world into thinking that that, that essentially nuclear apocalypse is imminent um, and that the Cold War has, you know, is, is about to come to its um, disastrous and catastrophic end. Um, and then, yeah, I think the idea is so then that obviously doesn't happen basically. And then Roger Waters sings a song at the end about how everything's kind of, everything's terrible, but it, there's a lot of hope and things might get better because we've had live aid, which in hindsight <laughs> seems, seems ridiculous. But um, this was just after live aid and uh, Roger, it clearly had an impact on Roger. I don't think he played it, but anyway, he did not. Um, so I think the idea <laughs> is that it's this this idea that if you have a near miss, you know, like you 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 have a near death experience or whatever, it can make you reevaluate your life and see what's really important and um, stop all the silly bickering and stuff that might be you might be engaging in and things like that. And I think this is the idea that Billy's trying to do that to the world, like stop all this nonsense. You know, I'm going to make you think it's really going to happen, and then you're going to see the light and realize that this is all stupid, and we need to change the course of uh world politics and uh, everything else so there we go that's the story i think do you know what i just realized no i have never had the kind of drugs that rock stars have access to because <laughs> i don't know i mean the idea of anti-capitalism get that the idea of you know the the nuclear holocaust i get that how we get from a which is a paraplegic autistic a paraplegic nonverbal autistic in a motorized wheelchair to whatever the hell the end of this is i yeah. have never been in an altered state enough to even start this conversation much less take it to its conclusion yeah i mean i kind of like the story i have to say i would i'm not saying it's it's a bad story no yeah i know you're saying saying that's 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 a lot it's out there i mean i I feel like duncan uh, grasped this story in a way that i did not (laughs) 
I don't know. Probably I mean, should have thrown I, Duncan to, on the spot, apparently, because he to really me, got I, it. I guess Rogers living in LA at this point, he'd come from the UK of Cambridge, not Wales. But um I, I guess it bridges that gap for him. He's he's seeing all this politics and the, the Cold War and everything going on from the American perspective. He's living over there, but he also really relates to what's been going on in the UK with Thatcher and um the closure of the mines and the, the privatizations and all this stuff. So it's I guess it's his way of, of bridging it. Um as someone um, yeah, who's never lived in another country, I, I can't speak to how all of the 80s in England made him feel because Pink Floyd had to leave England in what? Was it 78? They basically all had to flee. Same like maybe, how Led Zeppelin had to flee because of was the Was it taxes. a tax thing? Yeah, yeah tax thing. maybe, yeah. They all had to like, uh, we got it. We, we got a bolt because we're going we're gonna to get screwed on this one. And then, and I think that's em, uh, emblematic of what happens after Margaret Thatcher comes in. You know, that I think England at that point got that American idea of there's no such thing as a homeless person in America. There's only temporary de- temporarily depressed millionaires here. So yeah, that's how we get, you know, the people who make $15,000 a year to feed their family. That's how we get them to vote for people that will lower ta- raise their taxes, but lower taxes on the millionaires because we'll we'll be a millionaire next week anyway, so it's fine. This is true, yeah. That's def- there's definitely definitely that going on. Um, so, and you yeah. know what? If you believe that, that's fine. However, I am just trying to give a greater context to what was going absolutely on moment. I would say the story is not fully clear from even if you have the lyrics to read in front of you, it isn't. You can get some of this, but it, without Wikipediaing it, I don't think I could have fully. I I, I read this story on Wikipedia at least 20 times. And every time I I get like a Bugs Bunny. What? Because it just doesn't. I mean, I know what he's trying to say. But man, he is using some some his verbosity is well above my ken. And I don't ever say that. So that's that's a lot. That's saying a lot. But I guess if everybody is okay, let's just go ahead and move into the songs because I feel like we're going to really de- dig deep into this. So, could I add one thing for one second? Which is no, just a, I mean, yes. it's not my show. Yeah, but to- no, 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 add it. I just mean. as a guest, I do want to mention um, <clears throat> technically speaking, the seeds for the music, not like the actual music, but the seeds for some of this the band that is on this album before we talk about the songs is I think it's relevant, you know? So at this point, Roger's not in Pink Floyd and he tried to, to, to stop them from being Pink Floyd and he failed. And he knows that Pink Floyd is making a record right now that's coming out just a few months later. And they're in a, they're literally in an arms race. Of I'm going to, I'm going to reference that later. You could. I will. There's a movie from 1986 called when the wind blows. Yes. And When the Wind Blows is scored by Roger. If I just stole Nick's Thunder, he's mad. I have that on Swedish vinyl. Do you? Yes. I don't. But I was going to say, Roger wrote the score and also chose... Only only half of it. Basically the music supervisor of the film. He also picked the other artists to be on it and contribute. Oh, sure. Sorry, pal. Uh, Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Mouse not cooperating. Um... Anywho, I lost my train of thought. There's this the Bleeding Hearts band, which draws its name from the end of the wall that Nick loves so much. I uh, love it. And it's referenced by Roger a few other times, referenced in the final cut, I believe. 
So the Bleeding Hearts Band is the name he gives this backing band. The, the majority of the band that helped execute the, the When the Wind Blows soundtrack is now on this record. So he stayed in the studio with them to complete this record. And it is a lot of Pink Floyd alumni, or I guess in a way for you guys can elaborate on this now or later or never, is Roger just trying to mimic the talent of Pink Floyd with these pieces because that's all he knows right he doesn't he didn't try to do something drastically different it, it, he's trying to make a Roger Waters Pink Floyd record Correct. under his own name and Absolutely. he has Claire Tory and he has yeah Paul, Paul I didn't Snowy even know White that. and Paul I didn't Carrick. even know Claire Tory was on this until I got <clears throat> the the whole business yeah. up and I'm like huh <clears throat> I'll be damned. I mean, Mel Collins and Paul Carrick and Snowy White are all former Floyd touring people, right. as well as on albums. Uh, well, I to, mean, to those three. So, one of the things we've learned over the years with all the records you and I have done, all the records Duncan and I have done, is that my God, music is in this incestuous place. It's it's like this polyamorous podcasting world where you're just with two people. Or more. Indeed. I, I also, say, by the way, I will sorry, also no, say, go oh, go. Sorry, Duncan. I just no, no, no. You go. You go. I'm going to squirrel in one ghost cult reference, right, which is uh, Stephen Wilson has a brand new album out, and oh, yeah. Stephen Wilson is like the most Pink Floyd guy alive right now. Yeah. Uh, in terms of making Pink Floyd kind of music, if you're a Pink Floyd fan, I highly recommend his new solo album, and he has Guy Pratt on it and other people who are also former Floyds or Floyd disciples. So I just wanted to throw that in there as well. You might enjoy that record a bit more than this one. Yeah, well, whoa, whoa, whoa. maybe well, not me, but um, because, I mean, well, we'll come on to what I think about this record in a bit. But um, yeah, I just wanted to say When the Wind Blows, great film, very dark film. Like, it, it's about... It, it's it's I believe um, written by the same guy. Is it Raymond Briggs who did like the Snowman and basically done all these kind of child friendly cartoons, um, very family friendly Christmas movies, and then oh this one is is essentially about an elderly couple living in the country and the the, the nuclear apocalypse happens, you know, and the they they're alive. Um, but like the you know the the big city London or whatever it is is completely destroyed, and then it's what happens in the aftermath of that. And you can imagine, you know, we've seen what happened um, in Japan and uh, you know sounds... all this other stuff. It's it's pretty horrible. And me and my friend watched it for the first time after a, a heavy night out, and we were we were a little uh, the worse for wear in the morning. And it was probably not the right vibe for us but it but it is brilliant you should definitely watch it but you it's the sort of thing you probably don't want to watch more than once um that sounds like the japanese studio ghibli movie uh graveyard of the fireflies which is about two orphan children whose parents died in world war ii in right. uh nagasaki i believe so uh that's a movie you watch once because holy shit uh, sorry, I'm cursing more on this than I normally do, but uh, let's cool, uh, let's yeah. move forward off of depressing things. You can't surf on radio waves. Take it. Yeah, down. who's start? Who's starting these? Do you I take start? It. I, take, I take it. it. Do I? Okay. All right. You keeping me. So this is radio waves. Um, look, just I'm gonna just say this. Spoiler alert! I really like this album. I can guess that Keefe doesn't. I don't know what Nick thinks of it yet, but I. I <laughs> 
when I okay, so look, when I first heard this album, because this is the first track I heard from it, you know, it's track one. I was a little taken aback because straight away it doesn't sound that much like Pink Floyd. Uh, this first track, at least, you know, pros and cons of hitchhiking is very much just the third addition in the, in the trilogy, the wall, the final cut pros and cons. I'm not saying pros and cons is up there with the wall, but I personally really like it. And it's very much the same style. Um, you know, they've got Eric Clapton playing like Dave Gilmore. Just everything sounds pretty much like Pink Floyd. Um, this is like, whoa, okay. You've got a four to the floor, dancey drum beat. I believe it's all real drums, but very processed 80s drums made to sound almost electronic-y. Quite fast, quite dancey, very synth poppy. All these synths coming in. And you think, what's going on here? But then when you get into it, and I think it took me a couple of listens to this album to properly get into it um, originally. You know what? I really like it. It's um, I think Waters' voice is on great form. I think the song is really strong. I think it's got a great hook. It's strangely upbeat, but there's also a bit of darkness and a little bit of that Roger Waters angst and anger and aggression underneath it. Um yeah, so there's a few guitar licks as well, but it's very synth pop dominated. And, you know, I don't have a problem with that. Um, you've got some bleepy Morse code, which um, obviously is a reference to the radio waves and um, Billy, the character's way of communicating. And um, apparently there's a hidden verse to one of the songs, which is spelt out in Morse code, where he's dissing Sylvester Stallone. Um, I might be able to find that somewhere later on. But anyway, and that's, uh, that's spelled please, out. Please, please do not. Okay. Nobody asked for that. Nobody wants that. <laughs> All right. Well, that, look, basically, I really like this song. It's very poppy, very upbeat, very 80s synth poppy, but it's still Roger Waters. And there's, there's you know, uh, his just his Roger Waters-ness shines through, you know, whatever you think about him as a person or whatever, let's forget about that. But his, his persona as a singer and as a songwriter and as a musician is, is there and it's kind of dark, even though it's super upbeat, puppy, happy. Um, and I think it's cool. So there you go. I will add to that, that I also do like this song. This is a great opening track to the album. Uh, all the Pink Floydisms are there. The, the extra musical stuff like the Morse code, which is clever. Uh, Roger does sound great. I'm going to, I will agree. I love the drums. Uh, Graham Broad is the drummer for the Bleeding Hearts Band, and he's phenomenal, by the way. He's been with everybody. And um, I also, weirdly, again, calling back to Stephen Wilson for a second, one of the things I love about the new Stephen Wilson is these 80s synth sounds. I'm a sucker for synth pop, and I'm a sucker for these 80s Yamaha DX7 Emu emulator Fairlight Peter Gabriel sounds that Roger also favors. So this is a great opening track. This is one that was a single. It was the first single from the album, I believe. I the one I would say if I have to say one negative thing is you don't have to. I don't have to, but I will just call out like I think I would have uh, uh, you know in terms of exposition, I could use more of it here considering how dense this story is. Uh, that's a minor quibble. Not a huge complaint. Roger, the master storyteller, will say that, obviously, right? If you're going to lay out this very dense story, maybe you need to get into it a little faster and tell me what this is all about. Because 
it's hard to piece together the story of this until like you really don't see the whole whereas previously he's very transparent about what his intentions are early and i just want a little more of that that's just me it's a minor complaint as a fellow songwriter former songwriter tell me what the hell this is about it's very complex but that's otherwise a great track I wish I could disagree with something you said because I feel like you're on the other side from us this week. But one thing we did not mention is the cover of this record is Morse code. And I'm going to read it to you now. Let me know what you think. Scale of one to what the fudge. Uh, Roger Waters, Radio Chaos. Who needs information? The powers that be home. The tide is turning. Radio waves. That's what it says. Well, it's what basically most of the tracks, but not all of them. And the what the, of the hell album. even is that? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's fine. I mean, it would have been maybe nice to have all of the tracks on there, not just five of them. But you know, I'm I'm fine with that. You maybe, know those, nice? maybe those are the important ones he wants you to pay attention to. You they might be really... the ones they did videos for actually, because they did five videos, I believe. They did five videos. I think for the... so. I believe there was a video EP with five tracks or something. Wow, this is the oh. first time I've ever been involved in a conversation about Roger Waters where I'm the middle of the road. There you go. Just to say, by the way, just two things, two things It's just spring to mind now. Number one, this was cut down apparently from 16 tracks to eight, and um, apparently Roger's, Roger regretted that and wished that he'd left more in to tell the story better. So maybe what we're saying about the story being unclear is to do with that, maybe the other tracks told it a bit more clearly. And also, um, whilst the album itself got to number 25 in the UK, number 50 in the United States, not huge, huge, but okay. I don't think the singles even really charted anywhere. Um, I never whereas, saw any of these songs back no, then, and I never heard any of them back in the day. Whereas the Pink Floyd ones, which were coming out around the same time, did a lot better, you know, the, yeah, the, the, uh, the name. Uh, Learning to Fly was everywhere. Yeah. For years, it, it was so you everywhere. You would think <clears throat> it was so everywhere. You would think later it was a Pink Floyd classic, rather than go. the best song on the most mid Pink Floyd album of all time. You stop you right go. now, sir. Um, I will tell you. Here's another I have one. two different copies of that record. I don't have to. Duncan, this is one for you. I think specifically. Do you think Roger? Two things. So number one for both of you. I think also something to consider is that Roger did not feel very supported by CBS, considering he felt he was Pink Floyd, even though he lost that bid. He still felt he, you know, the record label cut their tour support from, he paid for a whole tour out of his pocket to close out pros and cons, did the soundtrack, and then did this. And he felt not fully supported, did not have the full support of CBS, who preferred, it'd be better if this was Pink Floyd. Uh, the second thing is, do you think Roger, is a fan of Alan Moore's Watchmen because these next couple of tracks really speak to me from the subversive political stuff that Alan Moore baked into Watchmen, not specifically about superhumans and things, but like there's some geopolitical economic stuff in there that's very subtle that I think maybe Roger was inspired by Alan Moore a little bit. Maybe so. Was that out at this time? Um, I, I mean, eighty six. I, 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 I collected the comic I, I, book in high school, so that's how. Right. I it yeah, I've, I've read it. I love it. Yeah, Alan Moore's fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, entirely possible. I, I could imagine that, but uh, but I don't know. I can certainly can't verify that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Um, 
it's it's worth saying as well um uh, just just while while I, I sort of on the same subject kind of that Roger Waters apparently didn't like like the production that we've just been talking about the synth pop thing apparently he really regretted that it, um it's co-produced by Ian Ritchie who's the um saxophone player on this as well and one other guy who I'm, I can't remember who that is but he tried to make it sound modern he said and regretted it regretted cutting half the tracks um and just and said he was embarrassed by some elements of the story, like where Billy pretends to blow up the world and stuff. So, yeah, Roger Waters doesn't like this, and a lot of other people didn't really hear it. So there we go. Just going to jump in there. Uh, one, Roger Waters hates it when anybody interferes with what Roger Waters wants to do. Period. Two, every record by aging rock superstars in this time frame, Robert Plant, David Gilmore, Pink Floyd and more have those Jimmy Page and Paul Rogers, those stupid wet drums that, you know, it sounded so modern in 1985 and it sounded so dated in 1989. But I love them when they're in the right place. You know, they can be terrible, but they can be great as well. There's there's it's horses for courses, man. I think on here they're great. The market sources. Let's move on. But if you're talking about the market sources. We're all kind of confused, and who needs information? Duncan. All right. Well, this is track two. Um, Billy's calling up the radio station. Um, you've got the announcer, Jim Ladd, doing some of his bits. Um, this is a slower, brooding tempo, but it still has the same synth-poppy sort of feel with a few rock guitar riffs thrown in. Um, so this is where they tell the story of the two going out on the night out and dropping the block or, or not dropping the block or whatever did or didn't happen, that thing. Great chorus here, female backing vocal harmonies. Um, there's some sax coming in and it's starting to get more Floydy. We're on more familiar territory, I think, um, for existing Roger Waters fans. Um, but I think this is a great song as well. Excellent slow burning dynamics. It's really tense. It gradually builds. Again, it's it's sort of upbeat. It's very major key. Um, it's quite, I don't know how I can put it, but it's quite sort of hopeful and positive. But there's this bit of darkness and aggression and angst and all those things just, just uh, seething behind it. So, yeah, you know what? I think it's a great, great song, and I really like it, even though it's arguably cheesy like this whole album is. But, no, I, I think it transcends that, and it works. So there you go. Uh, no, not too many notes. A very strong track, and uh, I, it's a little long. It's uh, the second longest track on the whole record, but it doesn't feel super long. Doesn't over, doesn't feel like overstayed. And uh, great, yeah. This is actually more the storytelling I wanted. And uh, again, I dig the track as well. Completely agree with Duncan. Duncan is right about this. This record is amazing so far. Uh, I, I'm just trying to get her to keep his skin. I'm sorry. Uh, really, you don't know where I'm going with this and what my actual critique of the record is. Well, I no, we've never talked my about hand it. a little, but like, Let I'll me... tell you why at the end. May I have my time? Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? I don't even care anymore. What I'm gonna, what the question I'm gonna be asking later today between Keefe is me or him. Okay, well, this is a song that starts with a very subtle kind of four to the floor beat, but we've got a kind of half time feel. So it feels slow. It's one of those where you're not sure if it's slow or fast. 
Um, yeah. So anyway, but there's more acoustic guitar on this. Um, so it's quite similar to the last song in feel, a bit more subdued than that first kind of synth pop blast, but a bit more balladish, um, very melodic. It's like a Bob Dylan song. I mean, we know Roger Waters is a massive Bob Dylan aficionado and he kind of stole Bob Dylan's voice, but it came out different. That's that's the way I see it. Um, so um, it's like a Bob Dylan song with much more production, you know. Um, but great chorus hawk, tune in Moscow, tune in New York, listen to the Welsh kid talk. I really like that. That's that sticks in that always comes up in my head randomly when I'm just walking somewhere or whatever. Um, so yeah, this is where Benny's been arrested um, and Billy's gone off to live in LA. So there's some classic waters bits like there's um the um the thing where he does shouting the same line that he's singing, but the shouting is turned down is mixed lower compared to the singing. So you've got this, like, it's as though there's someone over the other side of the field shouting <laughs> at the same time as the singing. It's cool. And he does that a lot. Um, yeah, look, I, I think this is a, a good song. Um, some great female backing vocals, lots of effects, radio things and cars and all that. Um, yeah, look, it's carrying on in a strong vein for me. Uh, again, I concur. I, me and me or him is the us and them of this record. Uh, just sorry to be so paint by numbers, but uh, all the good things, if you love us and them, that's on this track. Also, listicles, Rogers, you know, very pointed, not subtle politics. Um, in addition, we talked about Claire Tory. Uh, shout out to Vicki Brown, who's also on this album. She passed away um, very young, but she's also a Floydian associate and a great backing vocalist she played with everybody her voice is definitely heard on here with claire's and uh yeah really good tracks three bangers to open the record no question yeah i here's where i want to say that you know three great tracks to open the record and it's all uphill from here that's what i'd like to say i'd like to say that we have not gotten to the best of this yet However, I cannot. We will move on to, well, frankly, we're going to move on to the powers that be. Okay, well, the powers that be. So um, this is it's quite steady, but a bit faster than that, you know, faster than the low key kind of feel of the previous one, um, but much more in your face driving uh, beats going on here. Driving, dark, brooding, electro-ish again. Um, and this is about the closures of the mines in Wales and all sorts of other political issues and, you know, the powers that be, you can imagine. To me, this is like a more electronic version of a track off the wall. Um, it's also the first minor key song. Um, so it doesn't quite have that bittersweet thing where, you, where you've got the, the very sweet, upbeat sound. This is more like a, a bit of a darker sound. Um You've got some of that classic listing you've, that Roger Waters does in a lot of his lyrics and vocal delivery. Like they like fear and loathing, they like sheep's clothing, and it, there's about a million more of those. His rhyming say, schemes are amazing. Yeah, it's cool, man. It's cool. Good lyrics, you know. Um, I would say the chorus here is maybe a bit cheesy. This is perhaps the maybe slightly less strong 
um, than the previous two. It's very 80s pop and it's not necessarily good 80s pop. It's kind of a bit throwaway 80s pop. I would have uh, just said so... it's 80s pop and not necessarily good. I wouldn't need the qualifier after that. So, yeah. So, look, I still think this is a good song, but this is the weakest one so far. Um, because strangely, even though it's kind of a, a darker sound in a minor key and stuff, the chorus is just a bit too, eh, a bit too throwaway, saccharine 80s um, processed cheese slice-ness. This is Velveeta. Uh, okay. Pure Cheese Whiz in a can. I believe... Hey, don't, don't, is... don't, don't. Cheese Whiz is lovely. The Whiz has its moments. This is where I show my hand. This is the soft underbelly of the record. These next few songs actually are all weak to me. Not that they're completely weak, because they definitely service the album. And on paper, Powers the Beast should be a great song. Exactly uh, on-purpose device to have the first three songs be sort of a little light and poppy and then make this dark turn. As the story is supposed to make a dark turn, because that's Roger at his heart and soul but uh, these songs are not that good there's the chorus is not good it's definitely cringeworthy don't let and like yeah just as a pattern that now takes over for me not that it's bad it's just not up to par for roger and that's where i like unfortunately roger's last few solo albums and the end of the floyd in his tenure this is a this is a a a, a dip a real dip for me as a fan so just i'm putting that out there yeah, he, here's where I want to disagree. However, no, the the powers that be, it's so dense. It's like trying to eat a mince pie that's filled with cream cheese. There's just too much there, too much going on, and you're not going to be able to digest it. And that's my problem with this record as a whole. He has a great idea, a great story, but he's trying to do too many things at one time. Are we trying to do, talk about the disadvantage, trying to find their way in the world, trying to find their place in modern society? Are we talking about the Cold War? Are we talking about capitalism? Are we now talking about the English parliament and the prime minister? Come on, man, focus up. <laughs> this is the most unfocused Roger listicle I've ever heard. I have no idea where you are. Whatever you're drinking or smoking, I need this to understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, man. Um, yeah, it's worth also saying the singer on the chorus for this is not Roger Waters. It's a male singer, but it's Paul Carrack, who is... One of the band members. I can't remember what his normal role is in the band. God, but... I believe he stayed with Roger for the next like 878 years. Paul, too. Paul Maybe. Is, is alternately best known as the second vocalist of Mike and the Mechanics featuring Mike Rutherford of Genesis. Oh, he is on the Oh, is wall. that right? Is it him? Right? He is okay. the singer of The Living Years and All I Need is a Miracle. Paul is The wonderful. Living Years is a great I track. think he was a backup guy for Squeeze originally. Yeah, he, I'm just looking on... Yeah, yeah. He's on disc two of The Wall live in Berlin as well. There you go. I mean, he's a great singer, but it, I don't know. The thing is, Rogers, I, I, there's something about Rogers, the character in Rogers' voice. And when when you've got a chorus with no Roger on it, that doesn't quite work for me. Well, I mean, frankly, um, and I love Roger. I am a Roger stan for the most part, except for apparently Acid Reflux, Dark Side of the Moon. But 
I I like a break from Roger. Okay. Yeah. His vocals are pointed and I don't know what what is the the antonym for disingenuous. Fully ingenuous. Yeah, I know what you mean. There's a lot of conviction. Then maybe you're yeah, saying there's almost like too the much. Com- it's all conviction and not enough sweet tune. Right. And you know, I need I need a break from that. That's why the yeah. wall is so amazing, because somebody like apparently duct tape Roger and said, "Shut up, let Dave sing most of this." You know what's Dave. missing here? David Dave or Roger yeah. and Rick Wright. Yeah, 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 yeah. David Gilmore. Okay, <laughs> let's flip the record. And uh, you want to get landing? Because it's time for the Sunset Strip. Okay, well. That is terrible. I'm sorry. Well, I know <laughs> I know Keefe, um probably doesn't like this one too much. But you know what? I do like this one. It's lighthearted. It's like a rock and roll track with J.J. Kale guitars, like this blissed out kind of um, California sort of rock and roll bluesy thing, which you know, this is because Billy's moved over to California and they're doing that whole he's reminiscing about Wales but also talking about LA. But they're mixing the JJ Kale laid back, groovy rock and roll blues thing with the synth pop. And you know what? I, I actually think it really works, even though it's a bit weird. Um, some nice riffs, catchy vocals, and yeah, it's kind of lighthearted, but I think it's supposed to be, and it's still, I think it's still a strong song. I think it's got a pretty strong chorus hook. You've got this um, back to the Black Hills again bit, which which I think's cool. Um, guitar, bluesy guitar solo, some sax. Like, yeah, it's lightweight, it's poppy, but um, somehow, again, there's just enough of that burning anger and aggression and... Um, conviction as nick just well i said it but nick alluded to it i meant um, to say it but the, i didn't know the word the, yeah so yeah you know what i don't know maybe i'm just like i say when i first heard this album i was a bit taken aback and i wasn't sure if i liked it but after a few listens i got super into it this is about probably 15 years ago and um yeah to, to, for me this is great it's like dire straits but just a bit darker and more uh, more cutting so there you go. That's yeah, what that think. is unfair. I will say that I do dig the music. I understand the music. I dig it. And I understand where he was going with this and the purpose of this song in the middle of the album. It's like his distaste for L.A. is so much. That so he palpable. Had a, it, it, it's, it's very. Fever, like, it's feverish. I don't like fish. Like I get like he's parody. He's parodying what he's seeing. I'm sorry about this noise in the background. Um, like I get that he doesn't, um, he dislikes LA and this is his critique of LA, just like any of his critiques of England, right? It doesn't land for me. And I think it's, it's actually hurts the story because of how, like where this track is situated and I understand it's serving the story, but I just don't, doesn't, it definitely doesn't hold up for me at the time it came out. I liked it. And now I'm like, "Mm." it's like, um, when Don Henley does boys of summer, and that's an actual like meaningful song. This is doesn't have the same effect to me. All right, I'm just gonna go ahead and pick up the pick up the puck here, since Keefe did a drop pass when he dropped the puck. I don't know. I'm just throwing out words. Uh, you know, this track for me works really well for the the vibe we're creating because 1987, it is the cocaine 80s. We are all high on the schneef. We are all enjoying the hand truck fuel, the stripper salt. And 
the irreverence of this track works perfectly for this moment in the album. Because even though we all know nuclear holocaust is basically assured, we don't give two farts. Also going to throw out that there is a person on my old street that had a Welsh flag on their house. And I have no idea why. But every time I saw that flag, I knew I was almost home. You're muted, Duncan. You're muted. Apologies. I'm, I just was saying, I'm glad you said irreverence or irreverent, because I think I was going for that word and just didn't quite get there. Oh, yeah, hey, we're that, even. That's, that, that feel of irreverence is what a big part of what makes that track really work, because it's not a completely serious, um, you know, um, straight face take on, mm -hmm. on that style. Anyway, right, let's move on. So home. Um so this is where um, Billy's learned to intercept and mess about with all sorts of radio signals. And he this is where he starts to hack into the military satellite, et cetera, et cetera. So I really like this song. Um, this is it's got a great half spoken vocal. So he's basically he's doing a massive one of his Roger Waters lists. Um, so he's saying it could be whatever. It could be this. It could be that. And he's listing all these different ideas. And then it's all brought together every, every 20 lines or however many he goes, everybody got somewhere they call home or everybody got something they call home. And I think that's a really nice catchy hook, even though it's kind of spoken. It's not, it doesn't really have any melody to it. Um, but then the chorus does go super poppy and melodic. But again, there's this urgency and catharsis about it that I really like. It's quite fast, this song, by the way, I didn't say that. Um tense and emotive i would say and builds really nicely some great claire tory vocals and some really cool lead guitar um yeah look i i really like this it's one that sticks with me um yeah it really really contrasts with the light-hearted laid-backness of the previous track and brings the urgency and the uh the impending doom feeling back to the forefront which is always good on a roger waters record so yeah it works for me fair enough this is one of the best songs on the records perhaps underrated because uh, it wasn't a single might maybe could have been too long but it's i love this song great song everything duncan said no notes i i've got little to say and i mean i could just talk and talk and talk but i don't want to spend those four minutes well done. I nearly forgot to unmute there. So yeah, four minutes is the next track, and that's a reference to the four-minute warning that I believe um, Billy gives about the impending nuclear apocalypse. So he rings up the radio station and basically says, "Yeah, I've pressed the button. I've hacked into you know the missile or whatever." Um, so um, which of course is not actually true. Um, but yeah, so you've got Jim Ladd reading about the you know, the imminent supposed nuclear apocalypse. And it's quite amusing. Like he says the word balmy to describe the weather. And then it sounds like balmy. And he's like laughing at that. Anyways, you should probably just listen to it instead of listening to me describe it. But no, um, listen to Duncan describe it. Yeah. At least I'm not doing impressions it. of worry noises this time. I haven't done any of that yet. So yeah. I have to get that yes, in before the end. I haven't. Oh, did I? Okay. There you go. I haven't said psychedelic yet either. Cause it hasn't been. So yeah. Um, <laughs> But this is good. It builds up. So at first it's like orchestral synths 
with a ticking clock and Claire Torrey and then the reading, uh, the, the Jim Ladd readings. Then you get some really dramatic piano coming in. Then Roger Waters comes in and it's like a dramatic ballad. And again, it's about that idea that having a near a shock near miss can sort of um, bring you back to realising what's really important and allow you to reevaluate things. So like some of the lyrics, after a near miss on a plane, you swear you'll never fly again. Uh, after the first kiss when you make up, you swear you'll never break up again, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on. Um, I think the chorus is brilliant. Um, sometimes I feel like going home is the the main hook line. Um, really good, strong stuff. Great with Claire Torrey doing lots of backing vocals and lots of lead as well, actually. Um, and then there's a bit where it kind of descends into ambience and you've got loud Morse code and loud clock ticking. And then Thatcher talking about how nuclear missiles are there to help to keep the peace. And they keep repeating that, help to keep the peace, help to keep the peace. And it's very Floydian and very dramatic and tense and um, uh, builds that um, that that feeling of um, impending doom trying to find other words that I haven't used before, but I can't. So yeah, um, look, this is, yeah, this is a good song. I would say maybe it's a bit messy at times. It kind of goes a bit, I don't know, it moves between different sections and maybe you're not quite sure. Sometimes it's less of a song and more of um more of a soundtrack to the, the drama of the story, but I still think it works well as that, but perhaps it wouldn't work so well as a standalone track, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Indeed. This is Roger at his best, at his most creative. This is what he does really well. He brings things together in a storytelling manner that supersedes what a whole, a normal song is, right? They'd, I don't know that Roger can go back and ever make uh, After the Wall, I don't know, or Animals or anything, I don't, or The Dark Side. I don't know that Roger could ever just make 10 songs that don't have a thread. This is who he is now. And so it started with Dark Side, let's be fair. I mean, it might have started before that even, but um, metal even. But I think, um, yeah, this is a great track and it serves the purpose of the rest of the album. Uh, I do find it ending very strong. So I think that's what we, we're all probably in agreement about that. I really like just the the tension of this record. And, you know, one of the, the, the scariest thing in the world to me is knowing the moment I'm going to expire. And we see or hear Jim Ladd discussing his life as he knows he's going to expire. And that is powerful and that is wonderful. And and it finally creates the tension. It finally creates that Floydian thing that Roger has been chasing this whole record. And he finally hits it on the penultimate song. Let's call the thing what it is. He missed that Floydy intention all the way through. So maybe, just maybe, the tide is turning. After, After live, live aid. brackets. <laughs> yes. Well, that's the final track. So this feels like so it's kind of like supposed to represent the feeling, I guess, when everybody realizes that they didn't actually die and they've reevaluated their lives and now they're going to move towards a better world and a brighter future and we're going to stop blowing each other up or threatening to. But I feel like this is more... I've got a feeling this might have even been written before all the other tracks. I don't know. 
because it feels like he's not really talking about the story anymore. It feels like he's being more uh, first person. This is what he thinks. He thinks the tide is turning after Live Aid. I'm pretty sure I've seen interviews where he's talked about that uh, being what he thought at the time. And um, yeah, this it just seems to be, this, this is Roger Waters' voice. This is not anyone, this is not a character at all anymore. Um, even though, even when it is a character, it's pretty thinly veiled. But anyway, so yeah, this is a it starts off kind of very low key, ambient, atmospheric, and um, it morphs gradually with a, with a slow burning build into quite a moving ballad. I think it's got strong melodies. I think it's got a great chorus hook. Um, it just says the tide, ooh ooh ooh, the tide is turning. It sounds slightly better than what I just did there. Um, but slightly. yeah. Some great Waters vocals, um, nice production, not over the top, you know, quite a few synths and layers and things, but the song itself is still there, shines through. Roger's, so Roger Waters' vocals are centre stage. Um, the male voice choir, which is mentioned throughout in the lyrics, the Welsh thing, which we talked about or I talked about, an actual male voice choir comes in towards the end, harmonising and doing the chorus in those uh those male voice choir harmonies um strong song and it, it manages to be powerful even though yes there is a bit of cheesy 80s production going on um still the song really shines through and again like most of this album the bitter sweetness that the the you know the sweetness of these big 80s synths and a lot of these major keys and the shimmery shiny clean and crystal clear production with the just the bit of bitterness and um and and sadness or whatever it is or anger whatever it is at that time that roger's got going on just really works and this is less angry this is more like he's lamenting the way things are in the world and then but but it's quite hopeful in, in its way as well um yeah so look yeah a genuinely moving tender um really strong song i think Nice. I learned something today. I did not know that there were multiple extra tracks written for this record. So this does feel a bit tacked on. However, that being said, it does tie the album theme together nicely. And maybe this is one of those things where this is the best of the end tracks that he had. And he picked this one out of all the others. It doesn't seem to flow with the rest of the story. It does seem like its own, you know, it's supposed to surmise the whole album, but it definitely is feels a little incomplete and um but that being said it is a good tie-up you know it's a good ribbon on the package for the rest of the record okay i don't know how you do listen to this record i can tell you what i listened to i listened to a promo record sent to a dj this song sucks there's nothing about this song that is good this song was thrown at the end of the wall live in berlin Instead of outside the wall, go to hell, Roger Waters, for that. You know, maybe I'm irrationally angry because of that. No, no, but no, this song is terrible. I don't know what you dudes heard. I will not ever hear anything again until next week. <laughs> but to to sum up this record, this, as Keithy alluded to earlier, this record was definitely Roger and David, you know, barreling down the Autobahn to see who could get a record out first, to see who could make the most Floydian record. And frankly, neither one of them made a Floyd record. 
And I say that, and I listen to my original pressing of Momentary Lapse of Reason on Friday. Or no, Saturday. Yeah, and I'm with you there, Nick, I have to say. Roger has, has prided himself on being the pink in Pink Floyd. We know this. And Roger has made some amazing Pink Floyd records after leaving Pink Floyd. Frankly, Radio Chaos is not one of them. So 1987 was a very strange time for both camps. He he wanted to out Pink Floyd, the official Pink Floyd, and failed. But all of that being said, it's still a spin it for me. I dig this record. It's ridiculous and nonsensical, but I can get involved. I yield my time. Yeah, um, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think maybe I like it slightly more than probably than either of you guys. But yeah, this isn't classic Roger Waters, you know, inside or outside Pink Floyd. I don't think this is the album I would show someone if if I wanted to represent who Roger Waters is, what he does. Um, I still really like it. Um, you know, if you're a Pink Floyd fan, I think it will take a bit of listening to to get into this potentially it's not what i expected when i first heard it um thankfully i'm quite appreciative of 80s synth pop so that element is actually cool with me it, it, it kind of works but yeah it's strange it sort of shouldn't work the story's pretty unclear from just the lyrics um yeah, the tide is turning does feel like it's tacked on the end. Some of the songs probably don't stand up on their own outside the album. But it's great. It's just, you know, sometimes you can't explain why. It's great. Um, and there's just, there's loads of that Roger Waters musical personality. You know, his lyrics, his delivery, his kind of slightly biting, um, cynical maybe, um, snarl that he's got. Um, it's all there in spades, and it's quite good to hear it in a different context. I quite like the fact that it isn't just. I, I know you've said they're trying to trying to do Pink Floyd, and yeah, I'm sure they sort of were, but they were also trying to make it of the time and modern. And I quite like that because then it, it because it's different. Then it's not just trying to sound exactly like Dark Side of the Moon or the Wall or whatever. It's its own weird thing, but still Roger Waters. So look, I'll shut up. But yes, yeah, definitely a spin it for me. Did I say spin it? Because I did mean spin it. You said spin it. You okay, said cool. spin it. Back to mute. And now for me. Um, first of all, to quote Beavis from Beavis and Butthead, the streets will flow with the blood of the unbelievers. Momentary lapse of reason is brilliant. Shut up. Anyway, full stop. It's great. Uh, you can You cannot like it. It's, it's, it's a work of art. I have it. On the Enough remix of you. version, Mute yourself and, and let me. Written, no, I love we're it. Running out of time, and I'm. This is my time, no. And if I'm a guest, this is my time. <sighs> Nicholas. Anyway, mentally whipping you with a noodle. Anyway, a pool noodle. Uh, respectfully, Duncan. Um, I do like this record, and I liked it quite a lot as a kid, as a teen. And what I will say is my. Oh, I don't talk to anymore. My brother, who was the originator of the Pink Floyd seed and a lot of the prog music in my life and a lot of the classic rock in my life, we A-B this record and Momentary when they both were out early September 87 and Momentary won by a leap. And I'm going to say what my problem for me is 
I like that they did the record of the time. It doesn't hold up musically for me today. And I like all those things. I like synth pop and I like, I love 80s pop music in general. I find uh, pleasure in the most innocuous one-off one-hit wonder from the 80s because I feel like it's better produced and written than most of the music today. At that being said, I think this record does not hold up for me. I would not go return to it among other Roger projects or any Floyd record, including a momentary lapse reason, but that's my taste. And I feel like if I'm going to be hyper negative at the end here, this is like a Steve Winwood album that's half baked in terms of the Sonics. And it just leaves me very cold. So this is like back in the high life. If that was a bad record, worse than it probably already really is uh, from my memory, but sorry, not sorry. I love the story. I love Rogers, a storyteller and a lyricist, and he does effectively communicate what he's trying to get across. I just feel like going back and hearing it now after not listening to it for years, I was like, oh man, this is not doing well. It's just of the, of the time. And so normally I love that. And in this case, actually, I will tell you that it kind of reminded me, I will, uh, Ulver's record that I absolutely love from about five years ago, uh, the assassination of Julius Caesar borrowed heavily from this record musically, like whole parts. If you go back and listen to it, it's like literally a tribute to this in a way, weird way. And I don't know if that's also that record is also point, pointedly political about Europe and things. So just going to just throw that out there for over fans as well. We covered over. We covered one hit wonders. Uh, lovely to be here with you guys. Thanks for having me back once again. I love to do it again sometime on a non Roger Waters Pink Floyd episode. I will just say that if you're going to, you know, do an homage to Roger and Pink Floyd, this is not the one to do it with. You know, it, if I'm being completely honest, um, Roger's done four solo records, four and a half, five ish, if you count the soundtracks. This is my least favorite. It it is a spin it, but just just barely. It it is. I, I disagree with what you said when you said that Roger communicated his thoughts very well. I don't think he did. I think the story is far denser then could be accomplished in a 42 minute record when six of them are the tide is turning, which is not even part of the story, but you know what it's Roger and, and, and David were, were racing down the track and who had to get there first. I don't know which one got there first, but I, I can tell you that these both momentary, which I love and radio chaos, which I also begrudgingly love are among the weakest among the weakest entrances in both catalogs in the Pink Floyd catalog and the David Gilmore catalog and the Roger Waters catalog and yeah, I, I, can't, I can't disagree with that but I would say for me post waters Pink Floyd is not up there with waters post Floyd if that makes sense I will say this and and I, I have a very nostalgic love for a momentary lapse of reason. When I was very young, before I got even a copy of The Wall, I had two Pink Floyd cassette tapes, Relics and A Momentary Lapse of Reason. And although we were listening to Dogs of War, which makes no sense, no sense. That was David trying to be Roger so hard and failing so miserably yesterday. I still love that song and I love 
And, and I will say there is an abject classic in Learning to Fly. That is, it's not Roger Pink Floyd. It's not Sid Pink Floyd, but it's really good. And Division Bell is actually a quite good record. Um, it's not as good as Amusa Death. It's not as good as Is This the Life We Really Want, but it's quite enjoyable. Anybody else have anything to say or do I get the last word? I I'm cool. I think we we've said it all personally. I, I've said it all that I want to say is what is what I'm trying to say. So I didn't need to say any of that. Thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you, Duncan. I love your British ways. Keefe, thank you very much for joining us. We will bring you back next time when we're not doing anything Floydian, which is not next week. But thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for being a foil to both Duncan and I lavishing praise over Roger Waters, who oftentimes is not deserved. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you very much. If you have joined us this week, if you have joined us any other week, hopefully you have clicked the subscribe button on your podcast device. Hopefully you've given us a review. We are a small time creator podcast. We don't have a network. We don't have a PR firm behind us. We certainly don't have a beer made for us like Big Deal Brewing makes for Barstool Sports or Pink Whitney makes for uh, Spit and Chicklets podcast. So everything you can do and all the help you can give us is delightfully appreciated, gleefully accepted. The biggest things you can do, share the link and leave a five-star review. If you do that, you are kings and queens of Maine, princes of Texas, and the premier of Alberta. With that being said, again, thank you, Keefe, for joining us this week. I know it is earlier in San Francisco. Always, Duncan, thank you very much. It is a joy each week to spend this time with you discussing these absolutely ridiculous records, which nine times out of ten they are. And I will say, thank you for listening to the Glacial Musical Podcast. We listened. Now it's your turn. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, balls. Oh, balls. Keefe confused me. Thank you for listening. Omar, cut this. Thank you for listening to the department. Thank you for listening to the Department of Metal Antiquities. We listened so you don't have to.